Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and thank you for tuning in. You are listening to Fiscum All, your weekly consistency check on America's political and legal file systems. I'm your host, T. Greg Doucette, recording from my apartment, La Chateau T-Dot, on the southwest corner of Durham, North Carolina. Uh, folks, if you can't tell from my voice, I don't know if you can or not. Um, I have been under the weather. That is why you do not have a uh, an episode this past Monday as planned. Uh, even the patron-only episode got delayed, and then it ultimately got converted into a Law 140 because I had gotten so sick that I couldn't put together an outline. Uh, and if you couldn't tell from the length of this particular episode, this is not a full Fiscamal either. This is a mini-pod of sorts. Uh, it's bigger than the Puerto Rico mini-pod, but it's smaller than our normal catalog of fuckery. Uh, because I still feel under the weather. Essentially, I had a case on Monday that turned out very well, but by Tuesday morning, uh, I was I was pretty fucked up, for lack of a better term. Uh, I had a sinus infection and the flu at the same time. Um, so all of so I was in court Tuesday morning until about eleven, and then came home and was home Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Uh, basically in bed pretty much the entire time, a good chunk of Saturday and most of Sunday. I feel better as far as like, I feel much better compared to how bad I felt on like Wednesday or Thursday where I thought I was going to choke to death. Um, but I still feel pretty blah. So uh, I'm going to give you at least something because I feel like if I don't keep these episodes moving forward, we're going to end up with like a three hour episode of nothing but criminal justice fuckery. And I don't want to put you through that. So there is no Law 140 for this particular episode. Uh, there is a Law 140, episode 49. That's what that became. That is on the Patreon page for our patrons if you want to check that out. Uh, oh, gosh, I forgot. Yes. Before we get into what's going on, make sure you join the conversation online if you have not already. We are on Twitter, at Fiskamall. That is at F-S-C-K-E-M-A-L-L. You can leave us a comment on our website, Fiskamall.com. That is F-S-C-K-E-M-A-L-L.com. If you would like to become one of our patrons on Patreon, you can go to patreon.com slash fisk. That is patreon.com slash F-S-C-K. You know I'm out of it when I forget like the basic boilerplate that we deliberately put into every episode to send y'all to our Twitter account. Um, so there's no Law 140. There's only a teeny bit of politics uh, because I do want to talk about this Devin Nunez memo. Uh, y'all, it's a joke. If you've not read it, I want you to go read it because I want you to see the joke of it with your own eyes. Like, I can't believe this got hyped up as much as it did. You know, it, it reminded me of, uh, y'all remember Rachel Maddow was like all over Twitter and everything else where she had like this bombshell exclusive of Trump tax returns. And it turned out it was like only the summary page from like 2006 or something that was really, you know, not impressive at all. That's the feeling I got when I finally read this memo when it came out. Like when they said memo, they should have put an emphasis on the meh. There's really nothing there. And in particular, even with there not being much there at all, there are a couple spots that I want you to focus on as you're having to sift through the bullshit of all of the Trumpist Republican acolytes who insist this is some devastating thing. Uh, one, the FISA warrant and the order justifying the FISA warrant, neither of those have actually been released. So as everyone talks about this memo confirms some bombshell misconduct by the government, it really doesn't. It's basically a partisan piece of paper scribbled up in crayon by a Congress critter 
turned into something that got printed out and distributed. That's really all this is. You've not actually seen any source documents. Um, but then part of the memo itself claims that the FISA warrant used to monitor communications by Carter Page, who is a Russian asset who volunteered for the Trump campaign briefly, one of only like five Trump foreign policy advisors. They claim that the warrant was sought solely because of the Steele dossier, this thing by put together by this former British intelligence agent funded by Fusion GPS. Uh, Fusion, in turn, had been funded by a Republican during the primary and then later on funded by Hillary Clinton. And apparently the entire thesis behind this is that because it was not disclosed to the FISA court that Hillary had donated to Fusion GPS, uh, that somehow the warrant itself was invalid. It, it's really stupid. Like if you, if I, as a criminal defense attorney, were able to get warrants tossed because the police officer didn't include a line that somehow was beneficial to my case, you know, defendant was found with weed on his person, but he claimed it wasn't his as part of a warrant application to search a car, you know, failing to include that the guy claimed it wasn't his is theoretically exculpatory, but it's not required. I mean, if an officer doesn't put that in a warrant application, the warrant still gets issued. I don't get to have the warrant suppressed. Um, but anyhow, so the warrant app, the memo claims that this warrant application was rooted in the Steele dossier. But you notice the word choice. It says that the warrant was only sought because of it, not that it was only granted because of it. So you're creating this memo from scratch. You can pick whatever words you want. Even then, Devin Nunez chose to use sought as opposed to granted because that means there is more stuff there that has not been disclosed that you're not seeing. Um, so go read it. It's ridiculous. Um, and I just want you to pay attention to that. Also pay attention to the fact, in addition to there being more there, um, pay attention that these justices, these FISA judges rather, uh, they get appointed by Chief Justice John Roberts. These are not Obama appointees. These are United States District Court judges appointed in this particular case by Republican presidents. And then the Chief Justice, John Roberts, also a Republican, designates which ones sit on the FISA court. So this idea that this is some conspiracy is just so fucking weird. I will say, I do think it's hilarious that the FBI is getting totally trashed by the candidate they helped elect. Had they not done the Comey memo 11 days before the election, Hillary Clinton would most likely be president because she was trending up in the polls and the Comey memo undid all of that. So for these guys to go all in on the papaya potus, Donald Trump, and then he stabs them in the back is hilarious, frankly. And it highlights the fact that anyone is loyal to the Moscow Muppet highlights how corrupting, how corrosive political influence is. This guy stabs literally everybody in the back, and yet people still go out of their way to support him and carry his water. And the only justification for that is that they're power hungry and have no business having any of it. So that is the political piece. Let's get into some of the uh, criminal justice news. Uh, well, actually, this is, this is quasi both. So buried amidst the news about the MEHMO, uh, the Office of Government Ethics, that's an oxymoron if ever I've heard one, uh, has approved the creation of an outside trust fund to pool donor money together for the legal defense of multiple Trump administration officials. Uh, from the story, it says, quote, outside lawyers 
created a limited liability company called the Patriot Legal Expenses Fund Trust, which will raise money from donors to pay legal expenses for multiple individuals, according to emails between those attorneys and a government agency. A handful of White House officials are already in line to receive funding. The email exchange, which includes a draft agreement to establish the pool, was posted on the Office of Government Ethics website Thursday night. It describes the framework for the pool, which will, quote, pay for or help defray legal expenses, which can include attorney's fees, court filing fees, litigation costs, or other related fees and costs. Now, this is funny because, one, this is all just relates to Russia probe stuff. So you got to wonder how many people have their ass on the line as part of the Russia probe that they need a massive trust fund to help cover their legal expenses. But in particular, these types of legal funds, legal defense funds, are usually restricted to one particular person. You create a fund for one person, you create a separate fund for a second person, and so on, because it creates a conflict of interest. You now have multiple people drawing money from the same fund who might have interests that are adverse to the others. Are they going to be able to talk freely knowing that they might not get as much money to cover their expenses as someone else. This is a huge ethics red flag. This is a something that would violate the rules of professional conduct in most states, I would suspect. It definitely violates the conflict rules here in North Carolina. Uh, and yet your Office of Government Ethics has decided this is cool. Uh, our government is corrupt as fuck, and it's only getting worse. Uh, in state-by-state -state news, out of Arizona in Phoenix, a high-speed chase with a sovereign citizen ended in a brutal head-on collision between the guy who was being chased and a totally innocent bystander. From the story, it says, quote, Law enforcement was in pursuit after spotting the driver speeding on the freeway. The man was reportedly on the phone with officials during the chase, insisting that he was a sovereign citizen not bound by the law. After exiting the freeway and crashing, the suspect tried to run away but quickly surrendered. Details were not immediately available on the extent of the injuries suffered by the two people inside the vehicle that was struck, but emergency crews took at least one person away on a stretcher. Now, we've talked several times about how utterly fucking stupid it is that the police will engage in a high-speed chase willy-nilly without any regard for collateral damage or other pedestrians you know, other drivers, anything else. They want to get their guy right now. There are other ways to get these people. Get you a helicopter and go ahead and have it covered on video. We know that happened in this case because when Sean Hannity made a big deal about the Nunez memo and tried to make a claim that was later contradicted, he then switched to the helicopter video of this particular accident. So there's no need to go through these high-speed chases through the middle of, you know, occupied parts of a town when you're putting citizens in danger over what's essentially a speeding ticket. The dude might have been speeding on the highway, but he wasn't going 70, 80 miles an hour on a residential street on going the wrong way down traffic, risking someone's life. So that's out of Arizona. In California, in Los Angeles, uh, homelessness is becoming a problem in L.A. So to address it, these idiots are just arresting homeless people. So from the story, uh, it says L.A. officials have denounced criminalizing homelessness. But as Los Angeles struggles with a growing homelessness crisis, arrests of homeless people have gone up significantly. And this is part of an analysis by the L.A. Times. The most common offense was failure to appear in court for an unpaid citation. So what they would do is if they see a homeless person sleeping on the beach, 
They'll give them a ticket. Well, the homeless person doesn't have access to transportation to get to court because if they had those types of resources, they probably wouldn't be homeless. So when they don't show up for court, they then arrest them and take them to jail. Now, here's some of this. This is so batshit crazy. I want you to listen to these statistics. Officers made 14,000 arrests of homeless people in Los Angeles in 2016. That is a 31% increase over 2011, five years prior. That rise came even as LAPD arrests overall were down 15%. So you have a 15% drop in total arrests. At the same time, you have a 31% increase in homelessness arrests. So in addition to that, two-thirds of those arrested were black or Latino, and the top five charges were all nonviolent. So Los Angeles is fucked up when it comes to their criminal justice system. Uh, In Yuba County, a mentally ill 34-year-old, a guy named Bertram Hiscock, was left to rot in a rubber room in a jail before he finally killed himself. Uh, in the 70, from the story, it says, quote, in the 77 days Bertram Hiscock spent in the Yuba County Jail, he made three attempts at suicide, once trying to strangle himself and two other times by cramming his own feces into his mouth. The UC Berkeley English literature graduate and former theology student talked to himself in different voices, drank his own urine, and muttered nonsensical statements about dinosaurs and frogs. I stripped my body down to tiny little feet, tendons, and a piece of scalp, he reportedly told officers. I had a purple elephant in my throat, but it's out now, he told another jail worker. Despite his pleas that he needed to be taken to a hospital or given medication for his mental illness, Hiscock, 34, received only minimal treatment at the jail, even after a judge declared he was not mentally competent to stand trial and needed to be sent to a state mental institution. Finally, inside a jail that has been under federal court oversight for nearly four decades, Hiscock killed himself on January 29th, 2017, while he was locked in a rubber, quote, safety cell. How we deal with the mentally ill in this country is a goddamn travesty. Uh, that's out of California. In Colorado, in Lafayette, you've, you've heard this before. Uh, a middle school teacher has been given a paid vacation, put on leave, while the district investigates the fact that she assaulted a student for not standing up for the Pledge of Allegiance. Uh, Boulder Valley School District spokesman Randy Barber said that Angevine Middle School physical education teacher Karen Smith, who is a 20-year veteran of the school district, is on paid administrative leave. Lafayette Police Commander Brian Rosipalja confirmed that officers responded to the school at about noon on Thursday and are investigating a report of a teacher assaulting a child for refusing to stand for the pledge. Here's the thing. All right, you might remember student in Michigan was also assaulted. Student in Texas was expelled. This woman is a 20-year veteran of the school district. Not standing for the Pledge of Allegiance has been constitutional for 75 years. West Virginia State Board of Education versus Barnett. We've talked about it before. That was 75 years ago. Down in Florida... A federal judge has ruled that the state's lifetime ban on felon voting rights is unconstitutional. Um, So as far as history goes, Florida used to have a system similar to North Carolina, where if you've been convicted of a felony, you lose your right to vote. But when your sentence is over, if you've paid all of your restitution, you served all your time, you get your rights back automatically. You don't have to go through a process to get them restored. Well, back in 2011, 
Governor Rick Scott set up this elaborate-ass system for getting these back in place, where now if you're a felon, you're banned from voting for life unless a special board says that you're allowed to vote again. And this became an issue because, well, let me just give you the, the quote from the story. It says, quote, Scott was the principal architect of the current system that requires all felons to wait at least five years after they complete their sentences, serve probation, and pay all restitution to apply for the right to vote and other civil rights. Scott and his cabinet, meeting as a clemency board, consider cases four times a year and usually fewer than 100 cases each time. It can take a decade or longer for a case to be heard, and at present, the state has a backlog of more than 10,000 cases. So that's the, the gist of this. And in one particular case, Scott himself said to a petitioner at a hearing, quote, we can do whatever we want. Well, there's a problem. That type of unbridled discretion, the lack of any discernible standards, uh, violates the Constitution, that violates due process, that is a cardinal problem with most uh, government agencies. Like if you have unfettered discretion, it violates the law. So federal judge Mark Walker agreed. What he wrote in his opinion is, quote, Florida strips the right to vote from every man and woman who commits a felony. To vote again, disenfranchised citizens must kowtow before a panel of high-level government officials over which Florida's governor has absolute veto authority. No standards guide the panel. Its members alone must be satisfied that these citizens deserve restoration. The question now is whether such a system passes constitutional muster. It does not. Uh, Walker continued, If any one of these citizens wishes to earn back their fundamental right to vote, they must plod through a gauntlet of constitutionally infirm hurdles. No more. When the risk of state-sanctioned viewpoint discrimination skulks near the franchise, it is the province and duty of this court to excise such potential bias from infecting the clemency process. So that'll be interesting to see how that pans out. It's almost certainly going to be appealed. I don't know if it will be upheld. It should be. Uh, because, again, having a government with no standards is basically an authoritarian mess. So that's out of Florida. In Illinois, we've got a trio of cases all out of Chicago. A, uh, a government attorney has resigned and two others have been suspended as part of a probe into evidence being illegally withheld in discovery in civil rights cases. So basically the police fuck someone up, the family sues, and the city goes out of its way to avoid turning over evidence that it's required to turn over by law. Uh, from the story, it says, quote, the move, and it's referring to the firing and the suspensions, comes just a week after attorneys for the law department were accused of withholding evidence in a civil rights lawsuit over the August 2015 police shooting that wounded Jaquise Evans, then 16. An irate U.S. District Judge Rebecca Paulmeyer had made it clear that she intended to sanction the city for its repeated failures in the Evans case. But minutes before the sanctions hearing was set to begin, it was announced that the city had agreed to settle the case. So now the judge doesn't have jurisdiction to sanction the lawyer. Uh, the story continues, news of the discipline came as a federal judge in another civil lawsuit announced she will hold a hearing on possible sanctions over why the city didn't turn over crucial reports about Chicago police detective Joseph Frugoli until his wrongful death trial was already underway, forcing a multi-million dollar settlement in the middle of closing arguments. So we'll see how that turns out. 
Uh, also in Chicago, we got a couple of stories about ice and ice stupidity. Uh, Army veteran Miguel Perez Jr. has been detained and is going to be deported to Mexico uh, because he was overseas and got PTSD and developed a drug addiction trying to cope with it. Uh, from the story, it says, quote, Miguel Perez Jr., 39, a Chicago resident who served two tours of duty in Afghanistan and recently finished a prison term on a drug conviction. He's been detained. After his military service, Perez sought treatment at the Veterans Affairs Hospital in Maywood, where doctors diagnosed him with post-traumatic stress disorder. He was supposed to return for more tests to determine whether he also had a traumatic brain injury. But here's the catch. He never got that opportunity. Uh, because in the meantime, he had reconnected with a childhood friend who provided him access to pain meds and alcohol, essentially. He was detained by ICE as part of that, or detained by the uh, the Chicago PD, rather, in a drug bust, then handed off to ICE. Well, when you're in prison, you don't get access to Veterans Affairs Hospital, so he never got any treatment for the PTSD or any assessment for the TBI, and he got through half of his 15-year prison sentence for the drugs and now is in a federal holding facility to be deported. This is, it's absurd. It is totally absurd. I don't have any words to describe it other than that. Uh, also in Chicago, first rule of Fisk, police will continue to do dumb shit even when they are being recorded. Uh, this is also one of the two separate inspirations for this episode title, uh, seven police officers have been caught on video by the FBI in three separate stings, stealing drugs and money, and then basically turning around and then reselling them themselves. Uh, from the story, it says, quote, police sources said the FBI performed at least three sting operations each time catching officers stealing drugs and money on surveillance video. On one occasion, the team stole at least $20,000. As many as seven officers were involved, sources said the officers were brought in for questioning Tuesday afternoon and have been stripped of their police powers. Federal search warrants also were carried out at their homes. These guys are fucked, but it's funny because you've got this. We've got another story later on in this particular episode. You've got the drug distribution ring in California that we mentioned two Mondays ago. You've got the officer in Florida busted with a duffel bag of vacuum-packed weed in that same episode. You've got the Maryland Gun Trace Task Force that was selling drugs. You've got the Philadelphia officer that was helping the Maryland folks sell drugs. Like Based on these stories, there's a pretty high likelihood that some of the biggest drug dealers where you live are police. That's just fucking reality. It's insane. So that is all out of Illinois and Kansas. In Lawrence, Kansas, ICE has detained a dangerous, dangerous undocumented immigrant. Uh, he's from Bangladesh. He teaches chemistry, and he was taking his daughter to school. Uh, immigration officials arrested Syed Ahmad Jamal in his Lawrence front yard on January 24th while he was taking his daughter to school. The seventh grade girl ran into the house to alert her mother and brother, while Jamal, a chemist, was handcuffed and led into a car. When his wife tried to hug him goodbye because she's not going to see him again, an agent said she could be charged with interfering in an arrest. Late on February 1st, supporters of his dad posted Syed Jamal's story online. In two days, a campaign had collected more than 10,000 signatures on a petition to stay the deportation of a man who, get this, arrived 30 years ago from Bangladesh to study and work in the United States. He had a valid visa. So an immigration judge in 2011 put him on what is called voluntary departure status. So basically means his visa has expired. It's no longer valid. But he was allowed to stay 
because under Obama, there was a process where if you're on this voluntary departure status, but you agree to check in regularly with ICE, you don't commit any crimes, you stay as a productive member of society, you get to keep a work permit permit, and stick around. Well, Donald Trump just said, fuck all this, and this guy's getting deported. No criminal record, has done nothing wrong, hasn't committed any crime. So as you're listening to him feed you the load of bullshit about the bad hombres from Mexico and the terrorists from Europe and wherever the fuck else, keep in mind that that's his rhetoric, but who he's actually deporting as a dude who's been here for 30 years, raised a family, is a STEM professor. When we talk at length about how much our students suck at science, technology, engineering, and mathematics, and now this guy's going to get deported to Bangladesh. You know, it, it, it's... God, I... I kind of appreciate not doing the podcast last week, even though I was sick, because my blood pressure was not as high as it is reading these stupid fucking stories every single week. The president is a goddamn moron. Uh, So that is out of Kansas in Maryland. So fourth rule of Fisk, The Wire is a documentary. Uh, wild, wild testimony about the Gun Trace Task Force. Now, we've talked about these folks in like seven different podcasts now. Uh, Basically, corrupt officers running a well well, here's the deal i've had so many separate stories pop up on my news feed get tweeted to me all of them with different excerpts of the fantastically insane shit that these guys got away with for years i'm going to give you roughly a dozen Eh, it's probably closer to nine but i'm going to give you some excerpts here we go the officers would allegedly drive fast at groups of people and then quickly slam on the brakes, hoping to scare them and see who would take off running, then using that as pretense for a chase and search. This happened 10 to 20 times on slow nights and more than 50 times on busier nights. The officers used illegal GPS trackers to chase down targets who they could rob. In July of 2016, the officers picked up a married couple, even though there was no evidence of any crime, found out that the couple had $40,000 in a safe in a house outside the city, went to the house, scoured it, took twenty grand, and then called police so they could say that they uncovered criminal activity as a way of covering up the theft. In another case, they took a man's house keys, found out where he lived in police databases, and went to the house where they found drugs and a safe. They took $100,000 from that safe and then called police, and then filmed them opening the safe for the first time to pretend like there was only 100000 in the safe to begin with when it actually contained two originally. During the Baltimore riots over the police killing of Freddie Gray, one officer stopped eluding at a pharmacy and then looted it himself. He took the drugs, gave them to a dealer, and split the proceeds. Uh, the cops reportedly found a gun and a pound and a half of marijuana as part of an illegal warrantless search in another case. Their solution was that they sold the drugs and the firearm back onto the street, giving them to another dealer. Uh, The task force is suspected of stealing at least $300,000 in cash, 3 kilos of cocaine, 43 pounds of marijuana, 800 grams of heroin, jewelry worth hundreds of thousands of dollars more. They made ridiculous uses of overtime, regularly earning pay when they were not working at all. One cop took a month off to remodel his home and still got paid. Another claimed overtime while he was on vacation in Myrtle Beach. And here's a kicker. Like, all of this is terrible, but here's a kicker. One officer said, as actual testimony, 
that the unit was trained to keep BB guns and other toy guns available, quote, in case we accidentally hit somebody or got into a shootout so we could plant them. Holy fucking shit. This is insane. Uh, so this, if you've not seen any of these stories, I'm going to give you a link to this compilation, but it's nuts. Like the testimony is nuts. Uh, also, it's not going to get much better because there's a new story in the Baltimore Sun that says a third of the new police don't understand the law and constitutional policing. Uh, Sergeant Josh Rosenblatt, who is the trainer for the academy, he's also an attorney. He said that 17 of the 50 recruits failed to pass scenario-based practical tests on legal standards related to basic police work, such as the need for probable cause before making arrests. Some of the recruits have not been able to master basic material. Four have been in the academy for 18 months, being recycled back from previous classes to continue their training. With 18 months of training, they're still failing to meet very basic legal standards, Rosenblatt said. Don't illegally arrest people. Don't illegally search people. These are not high standards. Holy shit. So that's in Baltimore. But then Hagerstown, the story that I mentioned to you that was also the inspiration for this particular uh, podcast title, 45-year-old Hagerstown police officer Christopher Barnett has been arrested after a cell phone video showed him stealing meds from a paralyzed woman. Basically, this guy came to the house started we don't know why he came to that particular house initially that's not in the story but this woman is paralyzed and there's a man living with her the guy's talking to the man starts talking to the woman sees her pill bottle that has oxy in it takes the bottle messes around with it a little bit and then when the guy goes back to check on it after the officer has left the officer has taken three different pills he's taken the three oxy pills because she had a seven-day supply Well, the woman called and said, hey, you stole my drugs. The officer shows up and tries to, quote, make it right by offering her $35 in hush money and then offers her four pills that are more powerful than the oxy pills that he stole. So you basically have this guy who's a cop working as a little drug dealer on the side to have all this shit together. So that's in Hagerstown. Uh, That's all out of Maryland. In Michigan, in Meridian Township, police have apologized to Breanne Randall Gay, who is one of the victims of Dr. Larry Nassar. She reported to them when she was 17 that the guy had just molested her, and they basically told her to kick rocks, told her they didn't believe her. Uh, From the story, it says, quote, officers closed the case after the Michigan State University sports doctor offered an aggressive defense and insisted he was using a legitimate medical technique. Well, here's the thing. When that type of thing happens, you find another fucking doctor to give you a second opinion. They didn't do that. Story continues, it should have been passed on to another expert, and it wasn't, said Police Chief Dave Hall, who called that misstep the downfall of the investigation. You got to wonder how many other rape cases are like that, where they get reported, a woman's been molested, sexually assaulted, whatever else, and the police are just so fucking lazy, they don't even bother to investigate. Uh, Down in Mississippi, so this is a weird case, in Starkville, Starkville Police Department radio operator Latisse Fisher has been indicted for second-degree murder for the death of her newborn baby. Uh, There was a home birth, and I guess somehow the baby ended up in cardiac arrest, took it to the hospital, it was pronounced dead. Well, the, the strange part about all this is that the DA has indicted, but the medical examiner hasn't actually looked at the case. 
uh, from the story, they're talking to the coroner, Michael Hunt. Uh, he said, Hunt said the baby's body was sent to the state crime lab in Pearl, but he has not had a chance to review the files because he was unaware of the pending indictment. Quote, I haven't had a chance to review the file to see if everything has been done. Usually the district attorney can go into the system and get the information, but I'm not sure exactly where we're at yet. Holy shit, you have a DA indicting when you don't even have a coroner able to weigh in on what happened as part of a woman giving birth at home and the kid happens to die. Like, this is insane. Mississippi is a special type of fucked up. I've written about them before, back when I wrote for Fault Lines a while back. Uh, out of New York, in New York City, the uh, state parks police on Long Island had to offer up their wives to their supervisor in order to get a promotion. Uh, from the story, it says, quote, Joseph Reyes, a high-ranking supervisor in the state parks, Long Island Regional Office, fucked, well, he didn't say fucked, it says shagged, but we know what that means, fucked one officer's wife and told the underling that he had an inside track on a better position, which he got because of the affair. Another officer who was up for the same promotion was told he would have gotten it had he offered his wife to Reyes. Let me tell you this. If I'm in that situation, one of two things are going to happen. One, I'm going to resign, most likely. But two, let that guy fuck my wife, and I'm going to chop off his fucking balls. You know, that's just absolutely ridiculous. Uh, in North Carolina, we got a pair of stories in Charlotte. Charlotte Mecklenburg police killed a 27-year-old suicidal man. Uh, from the story, it says a Charlotte man was fatally shot in front of his apartment building by a police officer Friday afternoon after a 911 call for help alerted first responders that the man was threatening to kill himself. The Charlotte Mecklenburg Police Department said Officer Daniel Flynn shot 27-year-old Charlie Shoup after Shoup charged at Flynn with a knife. So that's the framing. They're essentially arguing this was a suicide by cop scenario and he charged at him with a knife. Now, do I think that happened? No. It might have, but this is the same department that told a bazillion different stories about the Keith Scott killing, and then the police chief, when he was called out on the inconsistencies, said something to the effect of truth was in the eye of the beholder or some shit like that. So I don't trust Charlotte Mecklenburg police at all. Uh, but the story also continues, the shooting took place 20 seconds after the CMPD officer arrived. 20 seconds. That's not very long at all. But then on top of that, so anyhow, so you have this suicide by cop claim, 20-second delay between police arriving and shooting this guy dead. The stories, the, the comments on it, everyone's like, oh, well, he deserved it because he charged at the cop. This was, this was a suicide by cop scenario. Everything was fine. But you look, we had that case in Fresno, California, where a guy charged an officer with a knife. I actually think the officer got stabbed, if I remember correctly. And they decided not to kill him anyway because they recognized that he was suicidal and could be saved. Even Baltimore. I mean, Baltimore had that case from a couple of podcasts ago where the guy had a knife and was talked down. You know, it can be done. You can choose to preserve life if you want. We just produce police and police departments that don't value any life but their own. And that is a problem when you're in a profession that supposed motto is to protect and serve. Uh, in Durham, thankfully, Durham has some good news. Um, there were two separate suicide attempts in a single day that officers stopped. So don't let it be said I don't report good news. I do. It just doesn't happen that often. Uh, I'll give you the Facebook link. But essentially, there was one guy who was, he actually called police, said he was going to kill himself, had a gun, leave him alone, and went into his shed, put a noose around his neck, and was actually hanging himself 
Um, and when the officer arrived, the man was unconscious, but managed to use his pocket knife to cut the rope, get him down, use CPR to revive him. So that guy was saved. And then in a separate scenario, the same day, we have a um, we have a bridge that goes over the highway for part of our uh, NC-147. And a woman was on the bridge, basically threatening to jump into rush hour traffic. And police managed to talk her down as well. So we'll give you a link to that story. Uh, props to the Durham police officers who were involved in that. Out of Pennsylvania, in Pittsburgh, homicide detective Margaret Pegg Sherwood has been indicted for falsifying her reports. From the story, it says, quote, A state grand jury investigating a former Pittsburgh homicide detective found she lied and faked reports, leading to one man being wrongfully charged with homicide and allowing a suspect in a different fatal shooting to go free. The Pennsylvania Attorney General's Office filed a nine-count criminal complaint against Peg Sherwood, uh, accusing her of false swearing, uh, unsworn falsification, tampering with evidence, obstruction, hindering apprehension, and false imprisonment. Uh, among the examples, they note she authored a false police report and lied to prosecutors while investigating the homicide of Rashid Strader, who was killed in 2014. She knowingly tried to dismantle a domestic violence prosecution to protect a jailhouse snitch, and she authored a false criminal complaint resulting in the wrongful arrest of a man in 2014 who was later killed after he was released from jail. Uh, so that is the state-by-state -state news for this abbreviated podcast. Every now and then we do cover stuff from other countries. In the United Kingdom, out of Bristol, you see kind of the same stuff you see here in the States. So basically, charges against a man with autism have been dropped uh, because after the man was tased, supposedly for pushing an officer, there was a video that showed that it never actually happened. Again, first rule of Fisk is global. Police will continue to do dumb shit even when they're being recorded. Uh, from the story in the UK Guardian, it says, quote, A man with autism was shot with a stun gun by police and charged with assaulting an officer. And the reason why is that police claimed he pushed one of them, quote, double-handed in the chest with open palms, causing the officer to stumble back two feet. That's serious. Well, it turns out... Uh, the case collapsed, quote, after his mother found CCTV, closed circuit television, footage of the incident that undermined the prosecution's case. And you could actually go see the footage. The guy doesn't touch the cop at all. They just tase him for fucking sport. Well, here's where it gets crazy. Uh, Avon and Somerset police insisted that the use of the stun gun and the arrest were reasonable, but confirmed that an officer had been dealt with for not producing the footage. The police watchdog, the Independent Office for Police Conduct, IOPC, criticized the officer over the failure to gather the CCTV evidence and recommended further disability awareness training. Here's the kicker. The IOPC carried out an investigation and cleared the police officers involved in the arrest of wrongdoing. However, it did criticize an officer over the failure to produce the CCTV footage. So you tase an autistic guy in the UK, you're totally in the clear. No problem at all. Your independent watchdog will do an investigation and find that everything was totally fucking reasonable. It is nuts. Policing is nuts pretty much every fucking where. It drives me insane. Uh, so, folks, that is going to do it for this particular episode. I hope to be back at full strength next Monday, God willing. Remember, if you are one of our patrons, there's a Law 140 waiting for you on our Patreon page. And until then, 
have a great week. Thank you for putting up with my voice. Uh, hopefully Mike will cut out all of the coughing so you shouldn't hear any of it. Uh, but we should be back with a full-blown regular podcast next Monday uh, if the Lord is willing and the creek don't rise. So on behalf of myself, Mike the Sound Guy, I hope all of you have a blessed week, and I'll talk to you soon. <laughs>